Welcome, my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. On today's show, we're going to be looking at spots where you open from the small blind, get three bet from the big blind, pretty high frequency uh, occurring scenario. Everybody folds to the small blind. And, you know, in my experience, opening from the small blind is a little bit uncomfortable because you're out of position the whole rest of the hand. You know that villains are going to defend very, very wide from the big blind, and you know that you're going to get three bet a ton. And so here, just going to focus in on opening from the small blind, facing a three bet from the big blind, and then four betting from the small blind. So John, welcome. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Pretty excited for this episode. Like you said, three of the pots out of position as a preflop caller, blind versus blind, are just a really, really uncomfortable, tough note to play. One of the things that you can do to try to get away from playing that note as, um, you know, more frequently is just to four bet a little bit more so that you're not doing as much calling out of position and playing a lot of three big pots out of position. Instead, now you can swap some of those out for some four bet pots where you are the now the preflop uh, preflop aggressor and Hopefully that, um, you know, alleviates some of the pain of having to play play blind versus blind. Yeah, and I would say it, it's going to alleviate some of the pain, but it's always uncomfortable when everybody holds <laughs> to the small blind and, and you yeah. open, right? You, you're sure. you're opening an uncomfortably wide number of hands. And again, you're facing resistance at an uncomfortable clip and you're out of position throughout the whole rest of the hand. All of those things mean that you should feel uncomfortable when everybody folds to you in the small blind, right? It's it's not a slam dunk, easy spot to play. It's quite challenging, quite difficult. And so if when you're in that situation, you're confused or flustered or get anxiety, I would say that you're on the right track. You should feel all of those emotions. They, they shouldn't ever go away. This is a, a complicated node to, to get better at and to deal with. So with all of that said, let's dive into... Hand number one. We got a, a quad fecta of hands coming at you today. I haven't seen them, but I know that I uploaded four hands into Holder Manager. So let's see what's going on. Let me guess. Everybody folds to the small blind in hand number one. They do. Yeah, so the first whew, nailed it. All these hands, like we suggested, are going to be me four betting from the small blind. Um, the first three hands actually are don't even get to the flop. And um, actually, I, I just put them in to address one of the most common preflop sizing mistakes that I see in just all of the students that I've coached, which is blind versus blind four bet sizing. Um, so if we just kind of click forward here to see my open and the three bet, um, this is going to be probably the most common sizing setup that you see for the spot, a three big blind open from the small blind, a 10 big blind, maybe a nine or 10 big blind three bet from the big blind. Um, what I see a lot of here is uh, the small blind four betting to way too big of a size for the most part. I've seen people three bet to like 300 big blind or sorry, four bet to like $300 here for 30 big blinds, or I think even 25 big blinds is, is way too big. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason for, you know, the, the sizing mistake that happens here from the small blind is because most of the time when you four bet out of position, you are four betting close to three X or, you know, two and a half X or something like that. And I think what a lot of people are doing is just converting, uh, just porting the small blind four bet sizing or their out of position four bet sizing to the small blind in this situation, which results in them, um, four betting way bigger than I four bet four betting way bigger than let's say like a solver would advocate for betting. So if we go to my four bet size here, John has ace queen off, by the way, he didn't mention it, but uh, I'm not sure that it's 
super relevant to the yeah. situation. It's a hand that is, does get four bet out of position. I, I do want to talk about what you said there, though, about porting uh, out of position four bet size from other positions. And the most common scenario where this happens is, is generally going to be cutoff versus button. So, you, you know, the cutoff opens the button three bets and the cutoff four bets. And the reason why the sizing scheme is a little bit different is that the cutoff doesn't tend to open three full big blinds. Um, they, they tend to open, you know, anywhere from like two big blinds to 2.5 big blinds. And so the three bet size that they face is 7.5 big blinds. In this case, the small blinds opening to three big blinds and the, the three bet size they face is 10 big blinds. Uh, which is going to make a difference as it relates to the size of the out of position four bet. Yeah, I think the um, I I actually am going to kind of take that conversation into a different direction. I don't think that the size has much to do with um, I don't think the three bet size has much to do with my four bet size, and I actually think it is much uh, a, a much bigger determinant is the big blinds three bet range relative to the buttons three bet range facing a cutoff open. And, um, you know, I think I, 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 the first thing that we should do, I think before we even get into like why the four bet size is this way is um, I think what might be helpful is just pulling up like a GTO wizard or like any solved um, preflop sim that just shows like what commonly used sizes are and just to, you know, get a little backup for what might look like a, an extremely small three bets or four bet size for me here. So yeah, if we look at the small blind open and the big blind three bet, you can see here that it's followed basically the exact same sizing scheme that um, you saw in the replay, three big blind open, 10 big blind, three bet, 21 big blind, four bet. Um, if we just go back and let's look at an under the gun open and a hijack four bet, for example, just to compare it to another spot. Yeah, so you can see here that the raise size is much closer to, you know, something between the two and a half and three X. So it goes a 2.5 big blind open, 7.5 big blind, three bet, and then under the gun four bets to 20 big blinds. Um, if we followed sort of the same sizing scheme that we did for blind versus blind, we would have to see the under the gun four bet be something around the size of like 15 to 16 big blinds. So um, this is just like, you know, clear sort of solver indicator that like, hey, your four bet size from the small blind should be significantly different than your four bet size from other out of position spots. Um, well, the size is actually very, mm -hmm. very close to the same. It's the size relative to the three bet size yeah. that's sure. that's shifting. There. Yeah, the size so, relative to the three bet uh, size. Yeah. Under the gun is four betting to twenty big blinds, and the small blind the small blind is four betting to twenty one big blinds. So the size of the four bet is very, very, very similar. Um, mm -hmm. It's just that from seven point five x or seven point five big blinds to twenty big blinds is closer to three x, whereas from ten big blinds to twenty one big blinds, you know, is is closer to to two x. Yeah, and kind of what I wanted to get at was that like, I think that the the reason for like the two X sizing um, preflop when you're blind versus blind is uh, mostly a function of the big blinds, three betting range. And the fact that it's, um, it's a polar range. It's the only range that three bets in position um, using a polar range. If you think about what the buttons, three betting range is facing a cutoff open um, it's, you know, it looks extremely linear, right? It's, it usually starts out with like the top left-hand corner of the, of the preflop grid and starts moving its way down towards the towards the bottom right, all the pocket pairs, all the suited hands. Whereas here, if we were able to see what the big blind three betting range is, it includes a lot of just kind of trashy hands, hands like 10-3 suited, king seven offsuit, um, that none of the other positions three bet IP. Um, and so that's the reason for the small, small four bet size. We don't have to get too into it, but just the general theory is that if you are 
you know, kind of bluffing or raising into a polar range, um, using a small size makes a lot of sense because you're generally just trying to fold out the bottom of their polar range and, um, don't want to torch more than you have to versus the top of their polar range. So all that to say that this is just, you know, one of the most common mistakes. I can challenge that. Versus wine. Like you, you kind of opened the, the can of worms here, but you know, like if that's the case, then I think you could go smaller than 21 big blinds, small blind versus big blind in, sure. in the realm yeah. of like 19 bigs or even 18 big blinds with your, your four bet size. If you, if you so chose, right. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a, I think for the listener, what's really important to, to consider too, is that it's, <laughs> it's difficult to prove, right? Like one way or the other, um, the exact why of the, four bet sizes relative to the three bet size in both of these spots. Um, and I would say, yeah, like the, the polarization aspect of blind versus blind definitely is going to play a role. Um, and I think there's like an information role that's played as well with blind versus blind specifically, you know, that, uh, everybody's folded to the small blind, right. Before the action. Um, so there's like no, unknown information right and I, I think like when the cutoff opens and the big blind or, and the button three bets for instance there's a lot of unknown information before the cutoff gets to act again they can get cold four bet from either player right um, when under the gun opens and hijack three bets they can get cold four bet from you know the cutoff the button the small blind and the big blind and that is going to have an effect on the range makeup of the, the three bet itself um which is essentially going to force the three bet itself to be more linear in nature than the three bet from the big blind because the three bet from the big blind has there's not nobody left to act essentially there's no unknown information of a player who's yet to act and that can also play a, a heavy role as to the hand selection that they decide to three bet with in the first place yeah having two live ranges behind you is a really big deal especially compared to having no live ranges behind you huge deal huge uh okay so <clears throat> let's see this hand so yeah, these are just going to be three quick, quick preflop hands where I just basically show, hey, this is yeah. actually like the four bet size that gets used, especially at higher stakes. You can see very clearly here that the three bet is comes from one of those sort of trashy bottom of range polar hands, the 10-3 suited. Um, and so yeah, when you are kind of four bet bluffing preflop, like the auto folds that you're trying to realize are from these types of hands, so there's no need to go super big. Right. And, you know, Villain is getting 2.81 to one here. Uh to call preflop and 10, 10 tray suited certainly is going to have more equity than 26%, um, especially like hand versus hand, right. It's going to have, mm -hmm. you know, in the order of like 35, 40% equity uh, versus mm -hmm. ace queen off and them not realizing that 35 to 40% share of the pot is a big deal. Yep. Uh, hand number two, you got the King Jack. O. small blind, you open same sizing as before the big blind three bets to 10 big blinds, you four bet to two ten, and villain folds. Uh, as you said, you're not gonna get to see a flop. So again, here, the big blind three bet, the 10 nine off, uh, which is a hand that, again, like has a significant amount of equity versus King Jack off. Mm -hmm. And you actually have a hand <laughs> two jacks. Um, and yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You <laughs> sized up a big blind. Yeah, you sized up one big blind yeah. um, in this. My excuse is going to be that we, uh... well, actually, I don't even have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that we're a little deeper, but 
No, yeah, you're not deeper at all. It's, um, subconscious. It's like, subconscious, yeah. Just add that extra little bit of one big blind. <laughs> um, and then here, villain did three bet the eight nine off. So this hand has much less equity than before. So didn't really didn't really win win a lot, except you know you you price them out to call with with. <laughs> and that, that uh, you, you completely destroyed. So you got that going for you. Next hand, though, after the break, we'll see a flop. All right, and we're going to see a flop. And a river. Cool. Nice pre-flop discussion. And so stick around after the break. Let's see a flop. Coach Brad, the founder of Chasing Poker Greatness, here with an announcement as we usher in the brand new year. The CPG marketing team has joined forces with a collection of poker rock stars to put together a $40,000 giveaway in poker training content and poker coaching. They probably don't want me to say this, but giveaways are not really my thing. So my belief is that human beings tend to value the things that they pay for a lot more than they do not, which is why this will almost certainly be the last giveaway that CPG ever does, and also why I've decided to include a prize that you simply can't buy on the open market, which is a two-day, eight-total-hour poker weekend workshop led by me. Including the workshop, CPG is going to be giving away courses, private coaching sessions, database analysis, and optimization sessions, and in total, there's going to be 100 prizes that are given away. Brand partners include PLO Mastermind, that's ran by the great Jay Nandez, MTT legend Alex Assassinato's Poker Head Rush, KL Cleeton's Range Trainer Pro, Zach Elwood's Reading and Poker Tells, Dr. Trisha Cardner, and Intuitive Tables. For all the details on how to enter the New Year's Resolution Giveaway, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash New Year's. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash New Year's. And be sure that if you enter and win, you do the work. That's the thing that ultimately matters. All right, welcome back from the break. We're gonna finally see a flop in one of these small blind versus big blind four bet scenarios. I guess it's not really shocking that we haven't seen a flop yet, considering the hands that villains have been three betting us with so far. The, the ten and a three of clubs, an eight and a nine offsuit, a nine and a ten offsuit. So, yeah, let's let's see if villains are actually gonna gonna three bet a hand that they they can see a flop with. 
So everybody folds to the small blind. John's 100 bigs deep, playing 510. He has the ace king of spades. So a good hand as, you know, a, a top tier hand, as they might say. The big blind in this case, actually three bets to nine big blinds instead of 10, just asking for it. And you four bet to 210. So you, you four bet to 21 big blinds. And now villain calls. I imagine that villain in this scenario is a reg. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you flop top pair, top kicker on an ace jack five rainbow board. Uh, 420 in the pot. 420 in the pot. You got 790 behind. I was going to say, good, good, good start to the hand pre-flop. Good start to the hand on the flop. Likely just going to stick to my four-bet pot strategy. C-bet, a very, very small size. And he does. That is 20% pot. It looks to be 20% pot. And you get raised. <laughs> so ace-jack-5 rainbow. John has ace-king of spades. There is a spade on the board. You're not folding, getting five to one. Really interesting spot for villain to raise, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that was the first thought that I had. was like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this. Um, next thought is, okay, if they have a raising raising range on the flop, like we said, this villain appears to be a appears to be a reg from what we know. So, assuming that they have like a strategy that involves raising on this flop, what types of hands are they gonna start chunking into their raising range? Um, value hands. He doesn't seem to have any shortage of those. Ace jack, ace five suited, pocket jacks. Maybe if it if he doesn't decide to get that in um, fives, pocket fives. If that decides to three bet pre flop, so you know. Not not having a hard time finding a uh, reasonable value for him to raise on the flop. Um, what type of hands that aren't value would raise the flop? Maybe something like a gut shot with a backdoor flush draw. Um, I think if he thinks that I'm range betting this board, those types of hands might just you know benefit from some immediate some immediate fold equity. Um, they also put different parts of my range in very uncomfortable spots, and <laughs> including a hand that's pretty strong like Ace King, but definitely hands like Kings, Queens, Tens. Um, it's quite you know, troubling. Whatever Jack X. This is a quite troubling of a raise to face. I have yeah. to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm troubled by this this development because when I think about their range holistically, I think like, okay, so what hands would be like the best raises here, right? If you did have a raising strategy, like what hands would fit in there? And maybe a hand like Queen Ten of Diamonds or King Ten of Diamonds or maybe like King Queen of clubs essentially like some sort of gut shot with the backdoor flush draw i think would make yeah mm -hmm. could be a candidate to, to raising in position here the problem with those hands is that you kind of alluded to this that if you're range betting the flop and, and so you have like kings and queens in your range here like th those would be the kind of the primary targets to generate folds against and like mm -hmm. whenever they have these gut shots these double broadway gut shot type hands they're actually they're blocking the hands that they will should want to target which makes them less likely to raise they're also their most natural and easy continues on the flop mm -hmm. that don't want to open the door to getting jammed on so the fact like so so i don't think those hands are actually great candidates to be in the raising range itself and so like if you were to like press me on what hands go one yeah go one tier below that 
it would be some kind of three straight that is on the bottom side, like six, seven of spades or yeah. eight, nine, nine of diamonds, nine, eight, ten nine of, diamonds. of diamonds, nine, ten of diamonds, maybe something like that, I think would be yeah, the best candidates to, to raise the flop with and not the suited Broadway gut shots. But that's, that's just my, my gut intuition. Yeah. Okay. In any case though, I think we've, you know, given a somewhat unique situation, we've at least tried to do the best we can to give, uh, a player who has a reasonable strategy here, a, a a reasonable range. So, what do you what do you think about um, strong ASX raising here? Just going down one category further for the value range as well. I don't think it's unreasonable. I I think it's somewhat reasonable, maybe even weaker ASX, right? That can get mm -hmm. get called by like kings and queens um, mm -hmm. here on the flop, and I I think it's reasonable. Um, I think it's rare that villains will find that raise, but I, I do think it's a possibility. Uh -huh. And okay. I think this, this is another like interesting part of poker that really just keeps the game fresh to me is when you get in these situations and you face something like really unexpected and you have to like troubleshoot it in game and you've got to like diagnose it and try to figure out what's going on and what's villain doing here. What are the best candidates? And like, what, what does their strategy like look like? That to me has always been the the most gratifying, fulfilling, exciting aspect of poker is figuring these things out kind of on the fly and then trying to do your best to to counter what you suspect they're doing. But in the reality is you we we just don't know exactly what their strategy is. Mm -hmm. And you gotta accept that, right? Like you gotta accept not knowing. That's that's yeah. part part of part of playing poker is that like you never know fully exactly what villain's doing, which yeah, it keeps things fresh. I'm guessing uh, you call okay. the flop rate. Well, I mean, I don't even know. Should I call? Should I should I jam? Like what like how do what do I do when I call? Like I, I can sort of see like what's gonna happen downstream. Like what we're gonna have like an SPR a little bit under one. Um I'm gonna say like this is gonna be controversial. I would yeah. rather fold the flop than jam the flop. I think folding the flop would be less of a mistake than jamming the flop. Like okay, essentially walk like, me through like the calling the calling path then like just kind of what you expect to see downstream because like what I, what I hate doing in these spots is I call here and then I see the turn get jammed on and I'm like well I didn't I you know I should have thought about that like before before calling the flop. Um, well, there's there's unknown information. There's a lot of unknown information here, and the reality is that like I don't think you should fold and I don't think you should jam. Mm -hmm. And so, and so like, that only leaves you with one choice and. When you Don't have, worry three, about op what happens when you have three, yeah. three options and you can eliminate two of them, you, you really only have one choice and that choice is the call and then take the future information as it comes. I don't okay. know what's going to happen on the turn. I don't know what the turn card is. I don't know what size I'm going to face. Like, and th what the turn card is and the size that I face is going to help me navigate the turn as well. And, and so like, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do on the turn, but I could just see it going a lot of different directions. You know, I could, I, it's not like inconceivable that we call the flop and the turn checks through, mm, um, yep. you know, it's sort of what I'm hoping for. And it's not inconceivable that like you, you turn a spade and villain bet small and you just have like direct odds and equity to call the turn. Mm. Um, and then when you call the turn on a spade um, again, like it's not out, outside the realm of possibility that the river goes check, check and villain checks mm. back a hand, like, you know, ace four suited where they like raise mm. flop bet small and then wanted to realize their equity and you just want it showdown. Right. Mm. So I think it, it, in a world where you can face a spectrum of future actions on a spectrum of different turn types that 
you know, there's going to be ambiguity. You're not going to know what to do in a lot of spots. And, and like, unless you're some kind of fortune teller or soothsayer, right? Then in which case you probably know how to play the, the rest of the hand regardless. So like, to me, it's, it's a matter of, you got three options. Two of them, I don't think are great. One of them makes the most sense. So I'm going to take that and then figure out the future as it comes. All right. So I call. Stick to the stick to the only option that we have. No, you get a spade. You turn a spade. Sure. You check. So it turns eight of spades. John checks. He now has top pair with enough flush draw. And villain bets small. Um actually half of John's stack. Yeah. So it's it is small relative to pot. It's two twenty three into eight seventy eight, but it is half of my stack and a little bit over a third of Yeah. Again, you have direct odds to call. I don't see another option other than calling. What? Okay, so I did not call here. I ended up jamming. Um, my thought process here was, and I think I just maybe I'm just like reading way too much into the um, the big bet. Oh, sorry, the raise on the flop and the small size on the turn. Once the turn, once I didn't get jammed on on the turn. I was really, really worried that this was starting to be like the range that, you know, we talked about where it small bets the turn and then checks back the river. Um, I thought that a lot of the hands, especially on a turn that adds a little bit more dynamicism to this to this poor texture, a little little bit more wetness, um, that a lot of the <clears throat> value hands that raise the flop would um would just jam the turn. Also, if we could go back to the flop, I'm also like, you know, if we if I'm being like totally honest, I think that like there's a little bit more um I, I think that like regs in the pool, I think skew a little bit more towards just like raising the ASEX portion of the range. Maybe it's the weak ASEX portion of their range or you know, up to the strong ASEX portion. Maybe it's every like one pair ASEX that they have in this spot. Um and I think that the turn size is like really, really, at least to me, it felt really, really indicative of like that part of their range and not the ace jack, pocket jacks, pocket fives, ace five part of their range. You think I'm just reading way too much in the turn size, and this could just be a rag who's playing a strategy that just uh, every time they raise a flop, they they block the turn. Definitely on Ace Jack Five. I mean, your four bet range, like when you four bet and then call the flop raise, like you're gonna have yeah. I mean, the, the board gets a little wetter, but like relatively speaking, it, it's not super wet. Like the Eight of Spades, okay. Like now you're like King Queen of Spades specifically has more equity. Your Ace King of Spades specifically has more equity, but that's mm just a small portion of your range that picks up equity. Like they don't, you know, if you flop a set of fives here. You don't have much to like protect against. This is kind of unlucky for them that you do have a hand that can directly call the turn, like is, is has a direct price to just call and, and try to realize their equity on the turn. Like to me, right. that, that, that would just be like <clears throat> unlucky from, from their perspective. Like I would always bet small in the turn with my value if I if I had a raising range on the flop. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't really matter what the turn was. I would still bet really really small and then jam rivers because most of your range that calls the flop raise and then calls the turn bet is going to be ace king and ace queen, uh, maybe ace ten or you know what whatever ace ace x type hand four bets pre. But that's going to be the majority of it and the majority of that range versus pocket fives is drawing stone dead. So like I don't want to jam and like lose like ace 10 on the turn. I, I want to, you know, put it on the three easy installment plan and go really, really small and then jam river. Um, okay. So then 
if we can click forward to the turn. Does a hand like Ace-10, like, what hands bet fold the turn here? I don't know. I uh, Maybe... Mm, there's a few jam. So we'll see. They're getting five to one. So they have like enough equity with their straight draws. They're like backdoor straight draws, I guess. Yeah. And still call. Um, it would have to be like some sort of stone cold air ball, uh, like King Deuce of Hearts or King Deuce of Diamonds or something along those lines that, you know, the gut shots, like King Queen off is not going to call the turn. Um, some of the King 10 suited are not going to call the turn. The Queen 10 suited are not going to call the turn if that's in their range. Um, so I would say like those are the hands that are going to fold when you jam getting five to one. They're low. Okay. They're worst of their worst or lowest, lowest of the low equity hands. Follow-up question. Would you expect those low equity hands to bluff the river if I check call the turn? Keeping in mind that I will have one sixth pot. Left? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, and it makes me uncomfortable. But just because I don't know the answer and it makes me uncomfortable doesn't mean that I'm going to bypass getting direct odds to what I know is a turn call that will make money, period. And realistically speaking, if the money's going to go in, I would rather them put in the last 1-6 bet on the river and call than put the money in on the turn and they, like, call fairly quickly. I think you're just like, I, I think ace 10 off should fold to the jam on the turn. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't think like it, it doesn't have enough equity to call for facing the jam. I think your range when you jam the turn is ace king and ace queen and maybe like ace jack, right? Like maybe like top two, but there's no portion of your turn jam range that ace 10, because like you, in order for like ace 10 to call, they, they need to be like, oh, this dude, like, oh, he, he called the flop raise with like king queen of spades. And now, like, facing a bet of half a stack, getting direct odds to call is going to jam the turn and pass Trying up just out realizing his equity and seeing if he could make a good hand. Like, get out of town. Like, you, you, this, your turn jam is just pure value driven. You, you don't have any low equity hands in your jam. And so, like, if they did have a hand like ace four, ace 10, they should absolutely fold. That, like, that there's okay. no, no doubt about it in my mind that their top pair weak kicker should fold facing this turn jam. Yeah. Okay. So I think that even with their top pair weak kickers facing their turn jam, again, the main thing that I'm like, I, I sort of, this was my follow-up question was like, do we expect like the, uh, the low equity hands that raise the flop and bet the turn small to jam the river? And maybe my answer was, I mean, in game, as, as obviously you can see from my action was that I was very, very unconfident that they would jam the river with their bluffs. That's true. That called the turn. And if they're king queens and queen tens, you know, when they brick, if they never jam, um, makes it a little more uncomfortable to check call the river uh, if we only expect, you know, the hands that are better than ace king for the most part to be jamming. Also thought that, you know, who knows, maybe like some of those hands, some part of their range that bets small in the turn that's worse than an ace king just calls it off. Maybe they don't, you know, have the discipline to hold a hand like ace 10 or ace four maybe. or queen maybe. 10. That now turns a double gut shot. Um, but I mean, isn't it pretty nice? Like, make it to the river node and get like an amazing price, and tell yourself, well, 
they don't have to be jamming like queen 10 very often for me to bluff catch the river. Like they don't have to have that many like low equity jams for me to bluff catch the river. So like, yeah, call, that, call, that, that is really nice. Is, like not going to be a significant mistake. That is really nice. I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm worried about and what I'm, what I'm maybe seeing too much of here on the turn is that the only times they jam the river are going to be when they, you know, when there's only, when there's one sixth pot left behind, the only times they jam the river is when, uh, when ace king is losing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I was, you know, kind of fixated on here. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of an assumption, right? Like, and again, like I'm, I'm making assumptions too, and I, I don't really know, like we, we don't know we're we're in a, a, a tricky interesting spot but i i just know that like when i don't have any low equity jams in my turn range and villain is polar i don't tend to jam regardless of the spr i mean if they put you know if they bet everything but like one dollar okay i'll put the last dollar in but like yeah, with, yeah. with any like decent percentage of my stack remaining i'm just not going to have a raising range um, on the turn here, which could cause some problems. Like it, villains could take advantage of that by over-realizing their equity. And, you know, they, they could, yeah, it, it could create some problems, but I do know too, that if I don't have a turn raising range, then I'm going to have like a set of aces here. I'm going to have a set of jacks here. I'm going to have like top two here. I'm going to have, like, I'm going to be well protected, um, in my range and not having, and, and like having the discipline to not jam, I think makes for a holistically stronger long-term strategy than jamming here just because you know you're like ah oh, well they can overrealize their equity i don't really know what to do on the river they're betting half my stack do they ever bluff the river like all of those questions they're critical questions they're important uh but i just preserve my personal strategy over feeling uncomfortable or getting to a node that i don't really know what to do um and over time what you kind of realize when you take that approach is that you're, you get more comfortable being at nodes that you're unfamiliar with and you don't really know what to do and you don't exactly know what villain strategy is and you have to kind of figure it out on the fly. I, I think that that's just kind of part of the inoculation process of dealing with the, you know, the inherent ambiguity that everybody experiences when they play poker. Yeah. And I think like another, you know, an argument to make for your strategy is that there are rivers where you are going to know what to do, right? 20% of the time, the river is going to be a spade where you just have the easiest check haul on the river if you check haul the turn. Working. And so it's not like, okay. You the money is going <laughs> You beat Ace Jack, right? Like that's that's a big deal. You beat Ace Five suited. So like you, yeah. your hand okay. does get promoted to beat some of their value hands. So Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So if they do jam the Ace Jacks and Ace Five on a King River, then yeah, we can, you know, we can check haul on a, on a, on a king as well um but yeah so it's not like you know it's not like you get to the river and you're just always in this like oh man like even if they never bluff right you can you can still find a call you know roughly 20 percent of the time sure. um yep. and maybe that's good enough because you're you're only facing a bet that's one sixth pot and you're you know you're meeting mdf right so yeah maybe that's the i think if i think about it in those terms it, it makes it much more uh much more clear that the turn call is is the way to go i suspect that this the strategy villain is deploying is almost pure value heavy. That's that's my my actual suspicion. Um, yeah, I ended up being I, I don't know what you want to call this, but it feels a little merged. So you you call or you jam and villain calls and we're all in. Uh, villain ends up with ace queen off. Wow. Um, 
I mean, I guess they're going for value and then on the turn just throw their hands up and, and call all in, hoping to God that you have something other than all the hands that... That, that are better than ace-queen. Um, or only hands that are better than ace-queen, yeah. I mean, th this is another, like, interesting unknown, right? That, like, I can rationally say that, like, I think ace-x should fold facing the turn jam, ace-10, and ace-4 suited. Whether or not villains actually fold them is a horse of a different color, right? Like, there's real no fundamental difference between ace-queen here and ace-10, uh, or ace-4. And so villain may very well just call with ace 10 and they're like weak ace X and like your, you know, energy read in game could lead to jamming the turn being the best path that, that you could have taken. Um, I, I actually wonder too, whether or not, like if the river is like a deuce, does villain like jam their ace queen for value facing check? Mm -hmm. Probably mm -hmm. like they, they probably jam their ace queen facing check on the river. And, you know, if if they did that, then that would make calling the turn quite good as well, like a quite a viable path because like the money's going to get in either way. So you don't like lose uh, value from um, when when yeah. villain has these types of hands because they're just going to put the money in themselves. So yeah, quite quite an interesting hand, and I can't believe that you know we talked about this hand for twenty two minutes. By the way, it got things got out of control. It got a little like bit more days. complex than. Uh, than it appeared at, at first glance. So yeah, for the I think for me, still like the, the, for me, like the biggest thing that everything hinges on is like, do they put it in on the river, you know, sometimes with their, with their air and the, like you said, like, do they put it in on the river with, with ace queen or ace queen is ace good. 10? Ace queen is great for calling the turn when I really think about it, because like it makes it to where you can always call the river and it's always good. Like you can call the turn bet, and you can always call the river bet if they have ace queen in their range. And like mm -hmm. they can't, there's nothing they can do to crush you. Right. Yeah. Well, like what I was going to say was that like, I, I would like to, you know, if I could know the answer to, to some questions, I would like to know the answer to do they bluff the river for a one six plot with their king, king queens and queen tens. And also like, do they jam the ace queen on like a deuce river, for example? Like, yeah. If and they I do, think, if they do all of those things, then yeah, I'm totally on board with check calling the turn. With, I think the, the first question doesn't matter if they do jam ace queen. If they jam yeah. ace queen, the first question is irrelevant because then yeah, you yeah. start beating their value jam range and you can just call ace king and you're going to win more than, you know, 17% sure. yeah. of the time or whatever it yeah. was that, that you yeah. needed to call. So like if, yeah. if they do jam ace queen, then you can always close your eyes and click call on the river and it's going to make money. Calling the turn mm -hmm. will make money. Calling the river will make money like that. Yeah. That's a lock. They don't need to jam any of their bluffs if they have ace queen. Yeah. So I guess that's all that's all I would like to know the answer to going forward would be like, okay, the, the hands that raise the flop on an A side board, that's small on the turn. Do those hands check back the river or do they do they value jam the river with one pair? It appears as if they're gonna jam the river because they called all in on the turn and you know, that's <laughs> they, I don't know. They I mean I don't, I don't think you can make a connection between those two things. So they put all the money in when you take a stronger action and they're not going to put the money in when you take a weaker action. Well, they have an opportunity to improve on when they put the money in on the turn against some of the hands that, that I'm taking the strong action with on the river. It's, you know, I think again, like, I think this is, you know, could sort of be like a, um, similar, maybe like oversight that 
to what you were making with like ace queen and ace 10, you know, not calling the j check jam on the turn is like, I think just because those hands call check jam on the turn doesn't mean that they're necessarily planning on jamming the river for value. Maybe it would be a really weird path to take though, if the plan wasn't to value jam the river. Um, raising yeah, but you also think that calling ace queen and ace 10 on the turn is, is weird. No, I think it's not weird. I think it's bad. Uh, yeah, I think well. I think raising the flop small, betting small in the turn, and then not jamming the river with ace queen. Um, like clearly, if they thought you only had ace king here, they probably wouldn't have played the hand in the way that they played it. They probably would have taken a different path, right? Mm -hmm. So it's clear that they thought they were getting value versus something when they bet the turn, right? Um, and the reality is, is like they that you have more, um, you know suited weaker ace x hands than you have ace king because i can't imagine you jamming the turn with ace four suited for instance right mm -hmm. or ace three suited so like if you do jam the turn with all your ace king here and that's your strategy and then they bet ace queen and you call well that makes jamming the river like the most trivial slam dunk easy decision that that you you could imagine right yeah yeah um i guess the last thing i'll say is that you know that that might be bad but Clearly, a reg in the pool did something that you thought was bad on the turn. So, I, I, you know, it might be bad, but that's what I would expect them to do. So, yeah, so that's made, what I would expect them to see. So, right. Uh, they, they made one bad. They, they yeah. made one bad decision, and so now we can't predict any few any future decision. And or I'm just saying they're capable of doing things that you are, that you know you deem to be poor play. And this is one of the things that I, that you know the check back on the river is one of the things that I would expect to you know be poor play that that is still. I think expected to expected from them. Sure. But that's great, right? Like again, like we're, we're not thinking deeply enough. If you have like ace 9 suited and they bet the turn and you call and the river goes check check and they have ace queen, this is actually good for you. Like this is not bad. It's bad when you have ace king. It's not bad when you have ace 4. So like uh, you know, kind of again, like if they make a mistake by not jamming the river, then a mistake is a mistake. There are portions of our range that benefit from that mistake. This exact hand does not benefit from that mistake, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of hands that do benefit from that mistake. And that is ultimately a really good thing in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think overall, I think just holistically versus our range or versus our range that that calls the flop and then check calls the turn. <clears throat> yeah. They're probably making a huge mistake given that I'm not jamming a hand like ace deuce of spades or ace three of spades or ace four of spades on the on the turn um or it's, it's much less likely that i'm jamming those those types of hands sure um yeah and then if they were going to check back their ace queen versus that that check call range on the turn and you know if they somehow knew that i always check jam ace king on the turn then yeah that would be that would be really really good for my weak ace x range yeah all right well phew tough episode great episode well done john the tough way hand to, way, way to put together a great theme and i think that's all we've got for you this week remember if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe help support what we do on tactical tuesday and for the podcast listener also you know comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast from that's all i got for you on this you next episode week. of tactical tuesday see you next week thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community 
book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. The CPG Wolves. The people in Wolves are highly intelligent and they're successful. And they're not just successful in poker, they're successful in other realms of life. The coaching in general is very eye-opening. It, it doesn't take long for your biases and preconceived notions of how poker is played to be out in the open and under the reality of data. Most of us share the same values and goals. So the support and drive to help each other succeed has just been invaluable. The resources are just endless. Um, I really feel that commitment every single day. I couldn't even beat 50 NL online, and now I'm playing 500 NL. Coach John is just an absolute machine. Coach Brad is pretty much the only person that I would blindly trust to guide me through my poker career. The grass is greener on this side of the fence. And I think you just have a good time too. Go to wolftryouts.com to apply. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do. One man Coach Brad Wilson has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent moneymakers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. (laughs) Nuffle. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses.